Thank you for tuning in to Mule Mountain Messages, encouraging words from the pulpit of the Community Church of Warren in historic Bisbee, Arizona. Today, we continue our look through the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Our services are Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday prayer and Bible study at 5.30. Please come and join the family. All right, so I had two little, or two, I guess, little birdies that put some things on, on the pulpit up here. To, to uh, So it says here, um, I rear-ended a car this morning. It was the start of a really bad day. The driver got out of the car, and I noticed he was a dwarf. He looked at me and said, I'm not happy. So I said to him, which one are you? That's how the fight got started. And so, anyway. That was pretty funny. All right. So we are continuing our story and our walk through and look at Joseph. Okay, we're getting there. Genesis has about 50 chapters, and we're on chapter 45. So we are working our way through, okay? Uh, it's been about three years. I don't know. It's been a while. But it's been fun. And so the next, uh, we'll get a New Testament, a gospel that we're going to go through. Probably Luke, I think. I think I'll do a Luke and then an Acts, since they go together. So we'll, we'll see. But we're not done with Genesis yet. And we're not done with Joseph yet. So just to recap then for us with Joseph. Uh, remember they had come to Egypt for a second time. And they had come for more food. And they brought um, money and gifts. And more importantly they bought, brought Benjamin. Right? Because Joseph said if you guys come back. If you want to prove to me that you're not spies, which he knew they weren't, but if you want to prove to me, then you got to bring your youngest brother. So they convinced uh, Israel to let him come, and so they brought Benjamin. Now, Joseph wasn't through really with the brothers as far as wanting to see how they treated their brother. If you remember, they didn't treat Joseph very well, did they? I mean, after all, they threw him in a hole and sold him into slavery only after considering to kill him. All right, so they didn't like him. They, 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 and they treated him pretty rough. So Joseph wanted to see, well, how exactly are they treating Benjamin? How are they, how are they uh, treating him, their little, littlest brother? And so he set up a couple of tests to see so when they had come for this second time, they had a big meal in Joseph's house. And when they all sat down, remember they were all pretty amazed at being set in order from oldest to youngest. And they're like, how did they do that? Remember we looked and it was like a 39 million to one odds that if by chance that someone would sit, would sit the 11 brothers in order. Okay, so they were pretty amazed at that. And then Joseph gave Benjamin five times more food than the other brothers. And he was looking to see what happened. 
And you know what? They didn't say anything. They just had a big old party and, and uh, they just moved on and it was all good. They were eating and, and so they passed that test. And then as they were getting ready to go, they had stuffed their bags full of grain. They had, uh, Joseph told uh, the servants, all right, look, when they go, when they're not looking, you put their money back in their bags. And then he said, take this cup. It's kind of the special cup. The Egyptians actually felt like the cup had some kind of special power. Okay, Joseph knew it was all from God. but So he said, take this cup that I use and put it in the bag of the youngest. So they did that. And then it says, when they get out of town a little bit, then go after them and say, why have you treated us? Says, we were nice to you. We fed you. We've done all this and you stole the special cup. And so uh, they, they started heading out and they're thinking life is all swell and dandy and they're moving out. And next thing you know, the, the servant of the Egyptian and maybe the Egyptian army or whoever. I imagine they kind of felt like they kind of feel like you do when you're driving down the road and and the sheriff pulls in behind you. It's like, oh, man, I'm go slow. And, you know, you notice that, right? Everybody goes about four miles an hour when they've got a sheriff behind them. So, so they all come in and, and they say, hey, why did you do this? Why did you steal this special cup? And, and the brothers, of course, naturally, they're like, we didn't steal it. You know, go ahead and look. In fact, if it's in somebody's bag, then you can kill them. So they go through and it's like, hey, they find it in Joseph's bag and they're like, eh. You know, now this is the time of, uh, or uh, Benjamin's bag. All right. This is the time of testing, right? So they could, if they were the brothers of 20 years ago, they'd be like, wow, this is like solving all our problems. Right. And we didn't even do it. They'll take Benjamin and they'll imprison him or enslave him. We'll go back to our dad. Yeah, he'll be upset. He's old, going to die soon anyway. Maybe this will hurry the process and then we can inherit everything. That was the brothers of 20 years ago. That was the brothers that Joseph knew. And, uh, but they didn't do that. They responded differently. They argued. They said, no, you can't do this. this is, there's a mistake. Something is wrong here. Something is wrong. They stood firm. They stood firm. They stood firm on what they knew was right. And there's really a, a lesson here for us, isn't there? When we have our convictions, when we know that we're right in the Word of God, then we're to stand firm. We are right in writing the city and expressing our displeasure at what happened. We're right. We're right at that. Stand firm in that no matter what people may say. We're right and we quote the word of God. We're right. Whatever it is, as long as you're, you're right with the word of God, stand firm. 1 Peter 5.9 says, stand firm when he attacks. He's talking about Satan. The enemy. 
Stand firm when he attacks. Trust the Lord. And remember that other Christians all around the world are going through their suffering too. Stand firm. I can imagine that for these Christians in Nigeria and the Christians in Myanmar, it's difficult to stand firm. But they're in the right. So they need to stand firm. And we need to uplift them with our prayers. And maybe other ways if God leads us to do so. But the brothers stood firm. They were not going to go home without their youngest brother. In fact, they were all going to go to jail with him rather than go home without him. So by this point, the brothers have proven, they've proven themselves to Joseph. They indeed have changed. And at this point, Joseph, he couldn't restrain himself anymore. And the Bible says that he told all those who stood by him, he said, make everyone get out. Everyone but the brothers. Everybody's got to leave. And so after they left, Joseph was just filled. I, I can't even imagine. This is 20 years of grief. 20 years of sorrow. 20 years of all this being inside And now his family's before him. And it says here, he said, he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Imagine this big, you know, they didn't have a bunch of furniture back then, this big stone building, stone house, kind of like here. You know, you, you yell out. And he was weeping out loud. And it, they heard it throughout the whole house. It was all coming. It was all flooding out. He couldn't hold it any longer. Joseph sat all his brothers. He faced his brothers. And he made himself known to his brothers is what the word says. Now imagine their surprise. So this is probably the first time that Joseph spoke to his brothers in their own tongue. In his heart language, he spoke to them. And he said to them, he said to them, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? See, up until this point, he always asked, does your father still live? Right? But now he's saying, I'm Joseph. He's my father. Is he really still alive? Well, you can imagine the brothers, they're in shock, right? They don't know what to expect. They, you know, they, they're like speechless. They don't answer him. It says here they were dismayed in his presence. You know, they probably were a little sad, probably a lot scared. And now they don't really know what's going to go on. And Joseph's like, no, come here. Come here, guys. Gather around. It 
He said, really, guys, look, I am Joseph, your brother. I am him. Don't be afraid. Don't be upset. Really, is dad still alive? Is he really still alive? See, because, you know, they could tell the Pharaoh or Joseph, the, the Egyptian leader, they could tell him anything, right? But now he really wants to know, is my dad still alive? And he said to them, He says, look, again, don't be grieved. Don't be angry because you sold me from here because you sold me here, but God sent me here to preserve you. So in other words, you may have sold me, but God sent me. In other words, God was in control of this whole thing. You see, he could tell that they had changed, right? He could tell that they had really repented of what they had done. And he also knew, he also knew that God was in all of this. That God was in control. That God had a purpose in it all. And see, for us, just as the brothers had, when faced with their sins, had repented and had changed. We need to do the same thing. How do we react when we are faced with our sins? Are we repentant? Are we sorrowful? Do we grieve that we have grieved God? Do we ask forgiveness? I hope so. I hope so. Unrepentant sin separates us from God. But Repentance and forgiveness brings us close to God. Jesus tells us that once we are forgiven, we don't have to be angry with ourselves. We don't have to be sorrowful or sad because we are forgiven. We're new creations in Christ. And it's the same here. This is kind of a... a uh, uh, an analogy, if you will. It's a true story, but it's also a picture of God's forgiveness, of Christ's forgiveness. Verse 5 says, But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent Jesus here to preserve life. To preserve life. Joseph told them. God has a bigger plan. You know God always has a bigger plan. God's plans are always bigger than us. We may do something. But God is in charge of everything. God has a bigger plan for our life. We may not understand the process. We may not understand the plan. But what we can do if we're seeking God is to trust in him regardless. God, Joseph told him God's plan about the famine. He said, hey, there's five more years left. He said, but he brought you here to preserve life. 
God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years of famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And that's what Jesus did for us. That's what God did by sending Jesus. He sent him here to this earth to preserve a posterity for us and to save our lives by a great deliverance. But I got to add a caveat to that. Jesus came of his own free will. Jesus died of his own free will. Jesus rose and conquered the death. He walked and talked on this earth for 40 days and then he ascended into heaven. And Jesus will freely give that eternal life and that forgiveness of sin to anyone who asks. Guys, it's not to everyone. There's not a universality to salvation. You have to seek it. You have to ask for it. You have to come in repentance. Just like Joseph's brothers came, they were repentant. And Joseph forgave. We have to forget. We have to ask for forgiveness. We have to believe in what he did. The Bible's clear. The Philippian jailer said, What must I do to be saved? Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. John 3.16 for whosoever what? Believes shall be saved, right? Shall have eternal life. The Bible's clear. And I would be very wrong to give any kind of false hope to say that salvation is for everybody. It's not. It's only for those who believe and receive Him. John 1.12 The good news is is that everybody can come to Him. Everybody can believe. Everybody can receive. It's up to you. It's your choice to do so. And honestly, guys, if you haven't done so, I pray you would do it now. I pray that you would give Him your heart now. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow, right? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm thinking yesterday I spoke somewhere and I relayed the story of a fellow over in Sierra Vista who went for a bike ride and he didn't come home. He was run over. We're not guaranteed. But what we can be guaranteed if we accept Christ is that when we do pass from this life, we can be in his presence. And that's a joyous, joyous joyous promise and we don't have to fear we can just look forward to it so I pray that you've given your heart to him amen let's pray heavenly father we thank you lord that we have a promise of eternal life in you father we have that promise of not only an eternal life in heaven with you but father you say you came you said that you came to give life and to give it abundantly. That, Father, we can have a fulfilled life here and a promise of eternal life with you. So, Father, I pray that you 
Everyone here has that assurance of that eternal life, Lord. And if not, I pray they give their heart to you now, Lord. So, Father, we praise you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.